to to build this. <laughs> All right. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to our uh, Thursday of Greece. We're going to continue on with uh, with our explorations of Greece this week. And today, um, I'm Jesse has returned to us. Good morning, Jesse, or Kalimera, right? Is that correct? Kalimera, exactly. <laughs> and we also have with us Vasiliki, who comes up to us front live from the island of Naxos in Greece. Kalimera. Kalimera. Good morning, everyone. <laughs> Good morning. So today what uh, what we're going to do is that Jesse actually is going to host the conversation. I'm going to just be uh, in the background and I'll pop in every now and then if I've got a question for you guys. Uh, but what we would like to talk about today is about the Greek islands, because I would say I've been to Greece, but the most mystical kind of thing is the idea of going out to the islands. But that just feels really intimidating to me, even as an experienced traveler. Like, how do I choose? There are thousands of islands you could choose from, right? I mean, how do I even dis decide which islands to go to? How do I get there? Uh, what do I even do once I get there? I just don't, it, it kind of makes even my tour guide brain turn into soup when I start thinking about the Greek islands because there's just too many options, too much to choose from. So I thought today what would be really interesting and especially helpful for everybody watching is if we kind of have talk about travel planning. How do we plan a trip? to the Greek islands and having uh, somebody who runs a Greek tour company and somebody who is a local guide on a Greek island seems like a great place to start. So Jesse, why don't you go ahead and take it away? Great, well, well, thanks Sarah. And uh, and I guess actually, uh, Kalispera to you, Vasiliki, it's the evening there. Um, and uh, we were just commenting as we got started here how marvelous this technology is, which uh, makes it look as if I'm sitting here on the island of Naxos with the, the gate of a, Apollo behind me. Um, but uh, let's actually let's just start start there, Vasiliki. We can we can uh, maybe start with Sarah's question, which is how how do we get to the Greek islands? And maybe or actually, we take it one step step back. Tell us a little bit about yourself. You're mm -hmm. you're on the the island of Naxos, and where where is that exactly? What what is that a, a part of in in the Greek islands? And how how could we get there? So, Kalimera to everybody from me. My name is Vasiliki. You can call me Vicky to make your lives a little bit easier, I think. <laughs> I'm a licensed tourist guide, which means that I have graduated from the special school of guides because in Greece, in order to get your license to guide, you have to go to the university about um, 16 years ago in Athens. So I have served my life between Athens and Naxos. Both of my parents were born in Naxos. I was born in Athens like um, most of the children at my age because there is no hospital to give birth to a child in Naxos. <laughs> so everybody has to come to Athens in order to give birth to a baby. Um, things are uh, much easier though now because uh, people can travel easier to the islands, I can say. You can imagine that uh, back in the 80s, it was more for backpacking, it was more for hippies. But now it's all very well organized. You can fly from Athens, since that you are asking about the access. You can fly from several European cities. You can take uh, the regular ferry, which is about five hours, or the high-speed ferry which is something less than three hours. And um, 
there is the access of helicopters, there is a very easy connection between the islands as well. So it's easier for people like me that studied in Athens and started their career in Athens to go back to the island that they originally come from because now we have more opportunities to do things that is not just uh, tourism and we can have, uh, let's say, a life that is uh, um, more excited in winter time too, because winter is a little bit difficult on the islands. I don't know if you are familiar with the Greek weather. Last week it was snowing, so the snow reached uh, the beach, <laughs> something that doesn't happen very often. In Axos it snows every year, but on the mountains. So you can imagine that it was a very difficult access with the very strong winds and the snow and the snowstorm. So you have to stay on an island isolated for more than three or five, three, four or five days. That actually, that reminds me of where I grew up. I grew up in Prince Edward Island uh, in Canada. And I saw a, a friend, of, another friend of mine was telling me that in Athens last week, they actually called in the military uh, because there was... Uh, I think he told me a half a meter of snow. I mean, it was, which is an immense quantity of snow for a place that doesn't regularly get snow and, and that, that it, it completely shut things down. Now, um, you mentioned that there, there are mountains on Naxos and it's, um, it's a part of the Cycladic Islands, uh, right? Mm -hmm. So what, what are those? What are the, the Cycladic Islands? What does that mean? Well, um, if you have on your mind the map of Greece, Greece is like a peninsula. So it has land borders only on the north. Okay. The rest of it is the sea. So now our west, we have the Ionian Sea, which is our borders to Italy. Or now our uh, south, we have the Libyan Sea, which is our borders to Africa. And on our east, we have the Aegean Sea, which is our borders to Turkey. The Cycladic Islands is a complex of 28 islands that are exactly in the heart of the Aegean Sea. And they are called as the Cycladic because Kiklos in Greek means the circle. So they are making a circle around the island of Delos that uh, was the holy island for the ancient Greeks because this is where God Apollo was supposed to be born. So the gate behind you, the great gate that uh, people can see, is actually one of uh, the gates of the temple of Apollo in Naxos that is facing the island of Delos because these uh, temples were created with uh, this orientation to face the island where God Apollo was born. The island of Delos is an island where you cannot stay. It is an archaeological site. It is the biggest archaeological site in Europe and the second biggest in the world. So people are going there for a few hours visit, no hotels, just a small uh, cafe. And then you take the boat and you either go to Mykonos, that is very close, Paros or Naxos that are the closest to the island of Delos. That's that's actually actually why we uh, originally decided that we were going to go to Naxos. Now we discovered some other really wonderful things that we'll we'll, we'll talk about here. But 
I, I just I have to pause to, to highlight the the wonderful kind of symbolism there. Uh, and, and because for me, Greece is a place really of the imagination where reality mixes with myth. Uh, and it's very hard to tell the difference between metaphor and, and reality. And so I, I love this image of kind of looking through the gate towards Delos, which, as you say, what is, is a sacred island. And this is what caught my imagination about it, is that it's not just a, a historic archaeological site, but even today, no one is allowed to live there. And that was a law, I think, that was um, imposed or, or, you know, even actually in very ancient days, it's, it's been that way for, for thousands of, of years. And for those who don't know, Apollo is the, the god of, of knowledge. Uh, and he's represented, his arrows are represented by really the rays of the sun. Um, and because, of course, that's, that's sort of the way, again, to, to speak in, in metaphor or to kind of mix metaphor with our own ways of knowing. That's kind of the way understanding operates right it kind of illuminates uh, the mind and so it's, it's again it's such a beautiful image to have the sun pouring through the gate to kind of give us both direction but open us towards a new vista and of course the greeks were very the ancient greeks were were very intentional about that so anyway that's why we that's it that was originally what brought us to naxos was this idea of sharing this this sacred experience now we're on, on the trip we're doing, because that really is a full day trip. We thought, well, we'll let folks uh, do that on their own. Uh, but but how how did those, when you were growing up, here's a, a question for you. When you were a little, a little girl on the island of Naxos, did you know the Greek myths? Of course. This is uh, the first things that you learn as a child. First of all, uh, for us, it's first the first the Greek myths, and then it is Snow White or Cinderella. These fairy tales come much later. But have on your mind that uh, our Greek mythology is our names, like Helen, Helen of Troy, okay, the War of Troy. It is the names of uh, the places that we live, like the Aegean Sea, King Aegean. So they, they are all related to myths. So in order to learn your history, the history of your name, the history of the place that you live, you need Greek mythology. Okay, for the ancient Greeks, this was their religion. So it is something quite important. And then when you are in a place that um, no matter where you go, you see ruins, okay, you see mountains that are very beautiful. Naxos has the highest mountains on the Cyclades. And they are so impressive that people knew that they are the highest mountains on the Cyclades. And that's why they were saying that this was the area where God Zeus was born and raised. And this was also the area where God Dionysus or Vakhos, the God of wine, was raised. So you can imagine that all the gods are related to the harvest. And agriculture is something that is very important to us. Even if you are not a farmer yourself, you participate in the harvest because it is something that has to do with the whole community. Okay, it is something that doesn't have to do only with business. It is the time that the family is getting together in order to help other families harvesting the olive trees, 
making wine. And then there are other occasions that we drink wine. So in all these cases, you speak about the gods, you speak about the ancient Greek mythology because all this is related uh, to our everyday life. And this is what made me a guide, actually. Because uh, in order to become a guide, you study archaeology, but there is a big difference. In archaeology, you dig for the past. As a guide, you communicate, uh, you address to the people the everyday life of actual times, of now, and how this is related to the oldest customs. This has Sarah, always I'm sorry, been... I'm sorry, Vasiliki, I just got to say, Sarah, I mean, you see why I love why I love this country so much, right? I mean, it's just, I, I, I would just, I'm sorry to interrupt Vesely, but it's just, it's such a beautiful image because often we, we can actually, we can work uh, with, um, there can be approach, an approach to guiding, uh, which, which can be kind of historical, right? And, and we've all experienced that in, in different places, but, but the real gift in, in guiding is to know how that history gives our lives meaning. And, and, and sorry, uh, but I just had to reflect on, on <laughs> I, I thank you for that. Well, I think, I think also what you're kind of trying to get at, which I think is amazing as you know, Greece isn't my zone, but Sicily is, and there's a lot of shared mm, Greek of history, course. right? So what I have found fascinating in rereading the Odyssey, for example, and revisiting some of these things that I was taught in school is that you understand where these ideas come from. I mean, some of these things are just cultural pieces of us that we don't even understand where they come from. I mean, you think about the myth of uh, the, you think about uh, the, the Cyclops, for example. We all know about the Cyclops. Everybody knows about the Cyclops, but nobody really knows why they know that, <laughs> you know? It's sort of like, it's such a, par a part of our culture. And then you go back and you realize all of these things, these stories, these myths were things that the ancient Greeks came up with to explain the world around them. And always within those stories, there is a seed of human truth. You know, there's something, things we fear, things we wish for, our aspirations, things that we, we understand about the world that maybe we can't put into words, you know? There's just, this is the thing I find fascinating about Greek culture is that it's not just about the surface level. There's always so many levels to it. And as a traveler there, it's not just about learning about that place. It's about learning about yourself. I mean, especially for anybody from the Western world, we don't even realize how much Greek history, Greek philosophy, Greek myths touch everything in our daily lives. I mean, you can't really go through it out through a day without some cultural reference, even a really distant one, right? So anyway, I agree with you, Jesse. <laughs> That's a long-winded way of saying I agree with you. No, I, I, I think you said that, said that very wonderfully. And, and Vasily, I'll put you on the spot here. What is, what is one of the, what are one of the myths that, um, that, that, that we're all kind of familiar with that belongs to Naxos Island. Is there are there are there myths that we would experience in a different way there uh, than elsewhere, or, or myths that that have their origins there? Well, there are many stories that are related to the island, but I think that the most famous has to do with uh, Ariadne and the fact that she was abandoned there by God Dionysus, 
by Theseus sorry so she got married to God Dionysius and I think that this is the most um, um, common story uh, I can say that to you I can narrate that story uh, because it is one of the places in Greece that has uh, the name Ariadne for young girls as a very common name so you can see actually how even if we are Christians because have on your mind that 98% of us in Greece are Greek Christian Orthodox and religion is something very important to us. Have on your mind that uh, especially on the islands we are very religious. Every family has its own church. We have our own private church too. That's why there are so many tiny white chapels on the islands. Okay, they are private family churches. But you can see how the ancient history and the ancient mythology is passing from the one generation to the other, even with the simplest thing, a name. A name that is not a Christian name, is a Greek name. But Christianity had to adapt it, as it happened with many other things. So um, I think that uh, as a child, since that we are swimming in the Aegean Sea, and uh, you are somewhere that is in the heart of the Aegean Sea, and maybe your best friend's name is Ariadne, <laughs> maybe the first myth that you learn has to do with King Aegean, his son Theseus, the Minotaur on the island of Crete, the thread that was given to Theseus by Ariadne in order to give him the chance to go through the labyrinth and kill the Minotaur, I believe that this is a story that is familiar. So on the way going there, Theseus had a black sail on his boat showing that he was going to die. But the agreement with his father was that he was going to have a white, a white sail so he could change it if he could manage to kill the Minotaur and come back safe. No internet, no phones, no Zoom back then. So the only way to communicate was that. So Ariadne fell in love with Theseus, helped him go through the labyrinth, find his way out of the thread. He killed the Minotaur and then he got Ariadne and he started going back to Athens from Crete. But uh, on the way there was a storm. So they had to stop on the island of Naxos. And this is where God Dionysius, the god of the island, so Ariadne, he fell in love with her. So he convinced, he, could, he convinced, let's say, uh, Theseus to abandon her there. Theseus could not do anything else but obey because God Dionysus was a god, but he forgot to change the sail. So when his father Aegean saw his son arriving in Athens with a black sail, he believed that his son was not arriving that he was not on board, he was dead. So as he became devastated, he jumped from the cliffs of Athens in Cape Sunion and he committed suicide. So this is how we have the Aegean Sea. And then according to the local myth in Naxos, because have on your mind that when we speak about the Greek mythology, it's not like the Bible or the Koran. There is no written book. So Every story has many options. The local uh, myth says that uh, Ariadne became so devastated 
that she married to God Dionysius. She couldn't do anything else, but she was going uh, on that island where the Temple of Apollo is today, the gate behind you, because we have to explain to the people that this is an islet that is connected uh, to the mainland at the entrance of the port of Naxos. Okay, so when you arrive to the port, this is the first thing that you see. The gate is there, and the gate is facing the rest of the islands, and especially the island of Delos. So when a boat is coming from Crete or from Athens, the first thing that you see is the, that gate. So according to the local myth, secures that place, that whoever goes there will always leave a part of his heart and will have to come back. So she wanted Theseus to come back, but because Theseus was not coming back, she also committed suicide. And this is how she became a star. So her crown is the Corona Borealis. Wow. So astronomy is connected to that too. Wow, as, as, as Sarah was saying earlier, I mean, there's so many, so many subtle lessons uh, in every turn uh, of that story and, and lessons that you know, are then later reflected, as you say, in the, both the sky uh, and in the seas and in the islands themselves. Now, I want to turn uh, for a second back to Naxos, really very specifically in terms of Dionysius, uh, because uh, Dionysius is is an easy god for us to admire as travelers <laughs> in a certain sense because he's the he's the god of wine. Now, why why would Naxos be considered his birthplace for the the ancient Greeks? Well, it is uh, not his birthplace. It is the place where he was raised. Okay, okay but because uh, God Dionysius was um, the son of Zeus and Semele. And God Zeus was married to Ira, so he had to hide the child from Ira. So Naxos, first of all, has many caves, and you can imagine that the caves were always a mysterious place for the people, so they were connecting the caves to the gods. But besides that, Naxos has one of the best climates for the production of wine. So there are vineyards covering a very large part of the island. And it has always been one of the most famous areas for the production of uh, wine. It's just that um, it is still done the old-fashioned way. No chemicals, nothing like that. And there are not many who bottle the Naxian wine, which means that in order to drink the Naxian wine, you have to go to Naxos. We have a very large production of it. But uh, we consume it here, actually. We don't export it yet, at least. Because have on your mind that what makes Naxos unique is that this is a place that has always been for the Greeks. It's not like Mykonos and Santorini that people could not have anything else but tourism, okay? Naxos is an island where people were always involved in agriculture, mining, and stock raising. It is one of uh, the places in the world that has some of the finest uh, marble qualities, white marble. Our marble is called crystallina because it has crystals. Okay, it is white, it's uh, almost uh, translucent. 
And have on your mind that Naxos is the beginning of Greek art for using marble, because it is the only place in Europe that has mines of emery. You know the emery boards for the manicure? For, mm -hmm. So emery is the second hardest mineral on earth after the diamond. And they knew that since thousands of years ago, they knew how to use it. So they have become the first sculptors and the first architects who could actually cut marble and give shape to it. So the people were not so much involved with tourism because they had other means of a growing economy. Naxos had always been a place for the Greeks to go and the Europeans, I can say. And because you were talking about Sicily earlier, there is also the Naxos in Sicily, Giardini di Naxos, because Naxos was such a powerful island that had its own colonies. So of course the colony had the name of the mother island and that's why we are talking about the Giardini of Naxos, the gardens of Naxos in Sicily. So you can imagine that this is a name that is very um, famous for the Greeks and maybe the, the Europeans that uh, were traveling backpacking back in the 60s and the 70s and they wanted to go to places that were more um, uh, authentic, I can say, and more family orientated, because Naxos is like that. It's not the crazy party island, because people are not like that, okay? It is an island that people that are the businessmen that uh, have the economy in their hands are the locals who stay there. It's not like in other places that go for the season, they work nine months and then they go someplace else. Okay, in Axos people live there. So this makes a very big difference. And I'm always guiding people that um, Naxos was recommended to them by someone from Greece because they could go to an authentic place that was not going to be the crazy touristic place with the souvenir shops everywhere. And um... that's that's Sarah and I Sarah and I were chatting about that the other day and how um, how I think it's precisely uh, that that allows civilization to thrive, which is that instead of um, that in, in ancient Athens, for example, it was the fact that the city was small enough, but local enough that people were able to kind of become the citizens of the city. That is that they, they took control of their own lives. And it's a, a, a wonderful, wonderful reminder of, of why we, we like to travel. And so, and why we're, we're visiting uh, Naxos, that is to have that, that Greek authentic experience. And so as we, we've been kind of talking generally about, uh, about the islands and the gods and the mythology and agriculture, or, or, um, agriculture and uh, mining. Now, how, when we come to visit here, if we just have uh, a couple of days on our Greek island tour, uh, what would you recommend we, we do? How, what, what are the experiences that, that we might look forward to, to having? So Naxos has also this kind of good thing that is big enough not to get bored, but small enough to see it in a few days. So you cannot just see, you can also do things. I mean, that uh, 
the locals always do something so you can get involved in their lives. Um, what I usually recommend to people to do is to be able to, to drive in the mainland of Naxos and leave maybe the beaches with the big hotels behind them because we have very nice waters, crystal clear waters that everybody wants to come and swim. But besides swimming, that is very nice too, <laughs> um, you can go and see, first of all, uh, all parts of Greek history. When I was in university, our uh, teachers were always telling us that the two places in Greece where you can go and see monuments from all the periods of Greek history in a good condition, well preserved, is Crete and Naxos. Going to Crete though means that you will spend there something like 20 days because Crete is one of the biggest islands in the world, okay? Naxos is a place where you can see all that, you can visit all that in one, two days, okay? So you can see next to the modern marble quarries, you can see the ancient marble quarries. You can see how people work with marble today and how they started working with marble thousands of years ago. You can drive through the biggest olive grove of the Cyclades, which is at the same time the oldest one. And uh, it is one of the oldest in the world. We have one of the two oldest olive trees in the world. So you how, can how, see how old is that olive tree approximately? About uh, 6,000 years old. It's the same age with the, um, the olive tree in Crete. These two are the oldest uh, in the world. So you can imagine that uh, you can go and visit ancient temples. You can go and see huge statues that are still laying in the quarry. This is something that we don't have in other places. So you can actually see behind the piece of art, the technology, okay? How people could think to cut the marble, how they could roll it, how they could uh, take it from the quarry, take it from the mountain, and turn it into these fabulous statues that we see all around the world today. So you can see historical places, but you can also experience the everyday life in a village where people are still farmers, where people are still producing their own things. Cheese is a very big thing for us. Have on your mind that Greece is the second country after France that has such a, a large variety of uh, cheeses that have a certification. And Naxos is one of the most famous places in Greece. I think that the Greeks discovered Naxos because they knew the Naxian food. In, in, talking about back in uh, the 80s that it was not very easy to travel but products were traveling everybody knew the naxian potatoes the naxian wine and uh, of course the naxian cheeses in every no, good meal you had something from naxos so this was the best uh, um, advertising of the island well, i was going to say say speaking of speaking of food um, 
I know that, that one of the activities we have planned uh, when, when we arrive there is, is a food tour, which is in the, well, really the capital of Naxos and Sarah, you'll appreciate this because it's also uh, an old, if I'm not mistaken, it's also an old Venetian town, yes. uh, which is one of, uh, again, Sarah's great loves. <laughs> Naxos was actually the capital. Uh, when the, have on your mind that uh, Venice, of course, was uh, the greatest power back in the 13th century. And the Venetians managed to occupy Constantinople, which is today Istanbul, back in 1204. So during the Fourth Crusade, instead of going down to Jerusalem, they went up to Istanbul, to Constantinople. So after the occupation of Constantinople, they decided to occupy the Aegean Sea. And their leader wanted to occupy Naxos no matter what. Imagine that he managed to occupy all the other islands around Naxos, all 27 of them. But in Naxos, the resistance was very strong. So they had to stay outside the uh, Byzantine castle for 40 days. And his people started uh, nagging, they became tired, they wanted to leave. But because Naxos has the most strategic location in the Aegean, and because Naxos is a self-sufficient island, and he knew that if you could not occupy that, it could have been like occupying nothing, because then the Naxians could attack the rest of the islands and take, let's say, the power back. He decided to burn the boats of the people who followed him, during the night, and this is how he made them understand that they would they will either die there or they will conquer the island. So this is how Naxos was uh, taken by Venice in 1207. And because of all these reasons, it became the capital. So it's a beautiful castle town with embassies, with uh, beautiful schools, the Ursuline school, the Jesuit school, uh, that are still there. The crests of the old families, like the Grimaldi family, the palace, the Catholic cathedral that dates back to 1207. And it is the only castle in uh, Greece that is still inhabited by the descendants of the people who created that because the Venetians never left. Okay, they are still here for 800 years. They still stay in the same houses. And uh, it is a castle that was never destroyed and never abandoned. So the castle is on the top and the locals uh, have, let's say, uh, their settlements around it. And this is again at the entrance of the port. Again, and I, I think, that's that's such a, a beautiful image, Vasiliki, of of what we what we hope to experience when we travel, uh, and that's these connections that bring us back eight hundred years, uh, and in this case, by the by the families who actually have been living con consecutively in this same castle, and I, I love that. I just have one one last question for you before we, we wrap things up, and, and Sarah may have. Uh, a question as well, but 
I want to return to this olive tree because you said that uh, that really the harvest is one of the one of the the cultural traditions and routines that gives meaning to Greek culture. And I want to know: Does this six thousand, approximately six thousand year old olive tree, does it still produce olives? Yes, of course it does. <laughs> That's why it is the symbol of eternity, the olive tree. Do you- I, I rest my case. Greece is such a wonderful, beautiful place. And, um, and that, that ongoing kind of abundance, which is, is there, again, in, in not only an image of, of peace, and of course, that's what an, an olive branch is, and wisdom, and the image of uh, the tree of Athena, uh, but also one that's, that's still producing. So I want to I'll, I'll, I'll see if, if Sarah has any uh, other questions here, but uh, thank you so much, Vasiliki, for, for sharing these beautiful images with us. Oh, this, I, I really enjoyed this conversation. And I just think that um, one of the things most people don't understand about Greek, which I, Greece, which I think you really brought uh, out today, was that Greece is not just a, one country <clears throat> in the sense that it is connected to Italy, it is connected to Turkey, it is connected to North Africa. It really is sort of the kind of heart from which a lot of things radiate in Europe. So if you haven't been to Greece, uh, you really need to put that on your list because it, it really is the underpinnings of so many things that, uh, that we understand in our modern world. Even if you've never left the United States, you are still operating on a Greek operating system in a lot of ways. <laughs> Democracy, for example. So uh, I highly recommend putting Greece on your list and the, the islands absolutely are on my list. I haven't gotten out to many islands. So hopefully I might see you in person this summer. I'm thinking about taking my son with me and going and uh, exploring some of the islands in the summer. Well, if, if, if you do want to come to Greece, uh, I would just want to put this out there. Yeah. We still have uh, a couple of spots on our tour that's departing on april 27th then we'll be visiting naxos with vasiliki so uh please uh take a look join us uh as we we have this living experience um you know this this spring that sounds absolutely fantastic so yes yeah, so if you want to join jesse um you can find him at um alethiatravel.com which we'll put the the link into the comments and you're going to offer the tour again in the fall is that correct yeah, we will. We'll offer the, the, the tour is also uh, there in the fall. So, uh, And just a little pitch for Jesse, for traveling with Jesse. As you can tell, he and I always have fabulous conversations. If you're interested in traveling and having a slightly deeper experience than maybe you would on a more traditional tour company package, uh, Jesse's the person to travel with. You're, you'll always have a great conversation with him no matter where he takes you. So thank you so much. Uh, Vasiliki, it's been wonderful to meet you. I hope I get a chance to meet you in person sometime very soon. And as always, Jesse, it's a pleasure. And so tomorrow, um, Jesse's going to take us to Greece with a slideshow. So please join us back here uh, 10 o'clock tomorrow. Does that sound okay? Yeah, that works. Okay, so 10 a.m. Pacific time tomorrow, uh, we'll do a little slideshow and you get to do some armchair traveling to visit all these beautiful places we've been talking about. So if you have questions about your own trip to Greece, if you need some tips or some help with that, please put some comments into this video and uh, Jesse will definitely be able to get back to you and help you with those, those questions. So thanks for watching, everybody. We'll see you again tomorrow. Thank you, everyone.